And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, and today we're going to discuss sexuality and the LGBT agenda. Our guest today is Family Institute's cultural affairs warrior, Lori Higgins. I'm an attorney and partner in the law firm of Mauk and Baker in Chicago. We're Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration, to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or call 312-726-1243 or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today our guest is Lori Higgins, cultural affairs warrior and writer for the Illinois Family Institute, a nonprofit ministry dedicated to upholding marriage, family life, and liberty in Illinois. Welcome, Lori. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, John. I've read a lot of your articles that are posted on IFI, and they seem to indicate that there's a concern not to persecute homosexuals, but to help them, that there are a lot of problems and we need to have compassion. How do you see that? Well, absolutely. I think, you know, the left has been very successful in portraying dissenting views on the nature and morality of homosexuality as hate-filled and that those who hold those views desire harm to come to these people, desire to deny them rights. And it's the exact opposite. What we seek for everyone, including those who experience unwanted same-sex attraction, is for them to experience human flourishing, for them to know truth, and for them to experience peace in their life. And that's what we desire, and we think it's actually the left's views that are harming them. Well, let's get the biblical objections addressed first, because the Bible says homosexual conduct is an abomination, and it's strongly condemned in the Hebrew Scriptures and in Paul's writing in Romans. Doesn't that mean that the homosexuals are... Uh, people are abominations and are our enemy? Well, no, because we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is. Now, that's not to say that some sins are actually more serious than other sins. All sin separates us from God. And so we we are not, whatever our sin inclination is, whatever we besets us, doesn't make us less in God's eyes. He loves his creation. He doesn't love everything that we do, everything we think, everything we feel, but he loves us. And the left has done that, have said, oh, this one experience and this one, these choices, behavior choices, are intrinsic to us and therefore they're good. But we know as Christians that we're fallen beings and things uh, that come oh, Okay, natural. but the left isn't really listening to us, and I don't think they're going to be a lot tuned in, although I hope there'll, there'll be a few. Believers are tuned in, mm-hmm. and what heart attitude 
do we as believers need? And are there any attitude adjustments uh, necessary, in your mind, among the body of believers? Well, you know, in my personal experience, I've never met anyone who talks ill of those who identify as homosexuals, who mistreats them, who's uncivil. I do know, I've heard people who come from other parts of the country particularly, that they have had experiences where people really are talking disrespectfully and in ugly ways about those who experience same-sex attraction and act on those experiences. So, of course, all of us need to, you know, make sure that we are not treating those for whom this is their sin inclination differently than we would for those who are experiencing other sin inclinations. In other words, we should treat them with love and compassion. And I like what you said, that we need to start from the fact that we're all sinners. Right. We, we're all false. So really, we hope they have compassion on us, as, and we have compassion right. for, for them. Well, is this primarily a spiritual battle, or is this a legal battle? Because uh, a lot of your writings talk about how we have to get the laws changed and new judges. And doesn't, doesn't the Bible tell us that our battle is spiritual? Well, they're not mutually exclusive. In other words, of course, all sin is at its core a spiritual matter. But we live in this great country where we govern ourselves. And as Christians, we need to participate in that in order to create a climate that serves individuals and that serves the larger community. So, I mean, Illinois Family Institute is a, a political you know, organization. We're concerned about public policy, so that's what we do. But I write a lot about what needs to go on in the churches also. We need to remember that this is a spiritual battle. We have to be equipped to understand and refute both the poor arguments, theological arguments, and the specious secular arguments. And Christians are not equipped well to do either of those things. So, yes, it's a spiritual battle, but it's also a cultural battle. Okay, well, let's stay on spiritual battle for, for a minute, because I heard you talking about being equipped and knowing how to refute. So I, I hear the word truth mm-hmm. coming out of that. Uh, what other spiritual weapons uh, are in our arsenal that we haven't used or we need to use in this spiritual warfare? Well, of course, I, I mean, I, I suspect that we are using prayer. That is, of course, a you know, very powerful spiritual tool. And uh, how do we focus our prayer? What should we be praying for? Well, I think, I mean, first and foremost is that those who experience unwanted same-sex attraction would come to Christ. And they have to come to Christ in a church that will teach truth. I hear some on the left saying, oh, you know, just, you know, have these people come to Christ, accept Christ, and let the Holy Spirit do its work. In other words, don't speak truth in church. And that can't be the way. We, Our spiritual leaders, our pastors, our priests— have to teach truth to people. They have to teach. In order, you know, to come to Christ includes repenting of our sin. You know, Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. It includes repentance. And in order to repent, you have to know what to repent of. And that's what's problematic in our churches now. They're saying, 
if not saying let's just keep silent on it, it's even worse. They're saying this is not a sin. The first 2,000 years of church history, they made a gigantic exegetical blunder. (laughs) And so that's hugely problematic, and it harms both the temporal and eternal lives of these men and women. Well, I've I've dealt with and and know pastors who agree with that point that – homosexuality is not sin. And I think that's another issue. But how do you address the pastor who knows it's sin but doesn't want to preach on homosexuality or or Romans 1 or 2 or or, uh, any of those issues because it would be divisive? And the Bible says that we should seek unity. And this is certainly disunifying since a lot of people – disagree on that issue or are ignorant. So how, how do you address and what would you say to a pastor who's in that quandary? Unity doesn't trump truth. It can't ever trump truth. And I have a quote in my article from last week. I wrote about an evangelical covenant church pastor, and I concluded with a really great quote from theologian and pastor Doug Wilson who talked about unity, heresy, and church discipline. So the main, impo- the main point is unity never trumps truth. But Jesus also came not to bring peace but a sword that divides even families. So we have to remember the whole of Scripture. All right, we'll go into why doesn't unity trump truth. Why, Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Well, Love is not separate from truth, and it's not separate from holiness. And when you have wolves in sheep's clothing, pastors who are leading their flock astray, you can't say, well, in order to be unified, we're going to abandon this part of Scripture, and we're going to abandon this part of Scripture in order— pretty soon the church is not the church. When we have churches now, the the PCUSA church now allows particular congregations to decide whether they're going to have same-sex ceremonies. Someone just wrote me this week and belongs to a church like that. She's going to leave, but she's very troubled by that. And I said, once you have a church that is performing same-sex ceremonies, they have desecrated the church. If they're going to, there's no way that you can accept that. And be a faithful follower of Christ. Therefore, there has to be there has to be division in that case. Uh, you know, I agree with you totally. And as a member of a PCUSA church, that's that's fought with us, uh, fought f- for the integrity of the Bible. And our congregation in Evanston has has held fast on that. But a uh, little legal tip for our listeners: if you want to uh, leave something to your church. Put in a clause saying, I leave it to uh, the Evangelical Free Church of Des Plaines, $100,000, provided that they have not performed a same-sex marriage uh, prior to my death and uh, that the pastors are not allowed to be same-sex active uh, people. There are things that we as believers need to do to call our churches to account and our pastors. Uh, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio, and I'm John Malk of the law firm of Malk and Baker. We're speaking with Lori Higgins of the Illinois Family Institute, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about what you can do and how you can help get the message out to help set people free.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauck, partner of the law firm Mauck and Baker, and we're talking with Lori Higgins of the Illinois Family Institute about the gay, lesbian agenda and issues and how it affects believers, how we must love, how we can respond, how we can balance truth. And Lori, let's start with this most important point. Are people born gay and they have to stay that way because that's how God made them? Well, there's a couple of answers to this question. First, your listeners should know that the most homosexual scholars in the academy have long disputed the born that way theory. So anthropologists, sociologists that identify, that study this issue, that identify as homosexual, and I have an article online about that. People can access it and find out a few of the names. Lisa Diamond is one who's studying that now, who has studied um, sexual orientation fluidity in women. It's more common in women than men, but now she's studying it in men also. There is no gene, and experts say there will never be found a gene for that. So the the bulk of the research on this from experts who identify as homosexual is that they're, they were not born that way. Well, I'd like to read you a, uh, a snip from a recent study by Dr. Lawrence Mayer and Paul McHugh at John Hopkins University. It was actually a 143-page report, it's not, uh, but we're just going to look at one of the, a couple of their um, summaries, and it's called Sexual, Sexuality and, Identi- and Gender. In the preface, Dr. Meyer dedicated the report first to the LGBT community, which bears a disproportionate rate of mental health problems compared to the population as a whole. We must find ways to relieve their suffering, close quote. This report digests and discusses over 200 peer-reviewed studies. What the research concludes is that some politically correct ideas on sexual identity lack scientific foundation. It refutes the idea, as you were saying, that some are born that way. This has dramatic implications. It means that homosexual behavior is not over, uh, is overcomable and not inevitable, and that <clears throat> efforts to help some people with unwanted same-sex attractions should be allowed and not criminalized. Yet we're being told, even by our Illinois legislature, that it's wrong to help people who have unwanted same-sex attractions, who are crying out saying, I don't want to be this way. I'd like to be heterosexual, and uh, licensed uh, counselors can lose their license under Illinois law if they try and help that person. Well, there's a lot to say in there. First of all, this born that way, in addition to there not being any research proving that, it's, it's a bleakly deterministic view of life, that you have no agency in how you respond to your impulses. I want to just make one other point. If someday, I'm just positing this hypothetical, if someday it were discovered that there is some biological or biochemical influence for the development of same-sex attraction would not mean that it's intrinsically and automatically normal and good to act upon those. We, we know that there are biochemical 
factors that influence aggression. And yet no one says, ah, well, aggression should be celebrated. So Christians ought not fear science. We know that the human body has been affected by the fall. So the fact that you, that if there were to be, which there is no, there is no scientific evidence yet. Um, secondly, the fact that you have, even if it were a biochemically shaped behavior, doesn't mean you have to act on it. Just like people who are predisposed to have aggressive impulses, we say you make other choices, which brings us back to what is true and, you know, what, how do we know what it constitutes morality and what doesn't? We know from scripture, but also we can observe the consequences of behavior in nature. Um, the Illinois law was interesting because, and you were talking about the one that bans what they call conversion therapy for minors. Well, I prefer the term reparative therapy. Yes. I was saying. But they the don't left, like that term. No, they don't like that. They don't like conversion therapy. They don't like the whole idea. So they banned that kind of counseling even for minors who wanted to, uh, you know, look for ways, what I, how I describe it is ways to create and construct an identity that doesn't include acting on same-sex attraction. Some people can actually go on to develop heterosexual attraction. Some people who experience same-sex attraction don't, but they make choices not to act on it and they can live a full life. The Illinois law, actually, because of the Illinois Human Rights Act, which includes, under the term sexual orientation, and this is very unusual in Illinois, it includes gender identity. So it's actually banned reparative therapy for minors who experience gender dysphoria. Two liberal sex and gender researchers, Eric Villain at UCLA and J. Michael Bailey at Northwestern, came out in an editorial, in syndicated editorial, saying Barack Obama was wrong in saying conversion therapy for minors who experience gender dysphoria should be banned because a huge percentage of those kids will come out and accept their own sex later. But the conversion In other words, as they become adults, that's right. there, there's a gender fluidity and, and teenagers have raging hormones and confusion and peer pressure and the Internet. And these are folks that we need to love and help, not, not close our doors and say, we can't talk to you. Well, here's the irony. In Illinois now... Minors who experience, let's say you have a 17-year-old, let's say this, this boy was molested as a child and he develops same-sex attraction as a result of that molestation, which is another issue that the left won't let us even examine a correlation between that. He can't even get in, encounter talk therapy counseling, whereas a minor can go to what was Children's Memorial and Lurino and have their, a double mastectomy. Wow. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauck of Mauck & Baker. You can reach us at M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R dot com, MaukBaker dot com. We're speaking with Lori Higgins, cultural affairs writer at Illinois Family Institute. Lori, I think a lot of believers see these problems and they see the inconsistencies and actually lies. And I'll go so far as to say wickedness of the Illinois legislature in keeping minors from getting the type of care that they need. It's anti-children legislation of the, of the worst kind. <clears throat> but I also promised our listeners we're going to talk about what you can do about that. The Apostle Paul said that if a trumpet sounds an unclear note, people don't know how to respond. 
So we must have a clear call. And thank you for being a writer that has uh, explained these issues and analyzed them and advocated for children and and people with unwanted uh, same-sex attractions. But how can the average listener uh, help get the word out? Well, I have a number of suggestions. One is they have to be equipped, as I mentioned earlier. They have to understand the secular arguments that are used to normalize homosexuality and that are harming children and adults and society at large. They have to be equipped to learn that. And there are lots of places to do it, but you have to know where to go. I mean, IFI is a great place. There's lots of other places. But I say the church needs to help provide that kind of teaching. I would, I, from talking to church leaders, I know that there's lots of church leaders who don't know how to respond to the secular arguments they encounter. And if you don't know how to respond to that, there's a great chance that you will become confused, persuaded, or seduced by the specious arguments that they encounter everywhere, relentlessly. So, And we also have to understand how to respond to the abuse of Scripture in defense of normalizing homosexuality, which is really infecting churches and is going to infect, I would say, probably every denomination eventually. And then the other thing is you have to be willing to be persecuted. You can't talk about this issue if you're afraid of persecution. Well, uh, thank you for saying that because I was just going to read and will read uh, Revelations 12.11. It says, They overcame him, speaking of Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And this is important for believers. A lot of people have said, Jesus, save me. But Jesus says, I'll save you, but give me your life and live for me. And that includes being willing to die. Now, we're not facing people uh, who are really killing us, but you could lose your church. You could be fired from your church. You could be kicked out of your church if you're a member. You need to love truth and Jesus and people who are hurting more than your own well-being. And really, that's where it has to start, maybe even starting more with compassion for these people, saying, I'm willing to lay down my life. Do you see that happening, or is that where we're failing? We're, we're failing miserably there. I, it's, not, it's not just that people are not willing to lay down their life. They're not willing to risk their livelihood and they're not even willing to have a neighbor or a family member mad at them for speaking truth. And so, and I'd say, then you don't love Christ enough and you don't love these people because how can this be loving to affirm or pretend to affirm homosexuality when that will lead to eternal separation from God for these people that you claim you love? I mean, so we don't think eternally and we don't, think much about persecution and what we're willing to, to endure. And we don't think about how are we going to come alongside those people who are losing their jobs for this. Let's, let's end there, that the church needs to repent. We all need to repent and help each other live for truth. Thank you, Laurie Higgins, Illinois Family Institute. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve some